conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello, and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in their ministry. And today, we are delighted to have JT English with us, and we're going to be talking about preaching, theology, and uh, the educational ministry of the local church. Welcome, JT. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, in case folks don't know it, you are, first of all, you're a systematic theologian. I am, yeah. I got Uh, trained here. And right here at Southern Seminary. Mm -hmm. And uh, your official title now at the Village Church is what? Yeah, pastor of the Village Church Institute. uh, So kind of overseeing all of our adult education environments. Well, uh, tell me, tell me, when you say that, that entails a lot of different things. Sure. What's it, what does that uh, those educational environments look like? Yeah, so TVCI, or the Institute, is about four and a half years old. We started it when I came. I, I kind of cast this vision for Matt and some of the other pastors. Which was how long ago? Four and a half years. So I was here, finishing up my PhD, went there immediately after that, and kind of cast a vision. They had a philosophy of ministry that you could maybe call simple church. Uh, there was no educational environments. It was simply kind of home groups, maybe Bible studies in the home. But we really had a vision for recapturing theological education in the context of the church. And so we created this these environments where whether you're a brand new believer or somebody who's hoping to maybe go into ministry or be a missionary and everything in between where we're trying to train people in the Bible, theology, spiritual formation right there in the context of the church. So if someone joins the village church, uh, is there a, a particular program of study they enter in and how does it work yeah so if you come to the village church of course you'll come through like our membership process in those classes which we help oversee but the institute really we have a scope and sequence that will begin people at core we call it core classes and it's basically we have one on christian story one on christian belief and christian one on christian formation that's the scope of our entire education whether you're a brand new believer or somebody who's wanting to enter the pastor, because we think that the fundamentals, the, the kind of the three strands that must always be held together for holistic discipleship is you better have a good understanding of your Bible, the story of Scripture. Right. You better have a good grasp of the fundamentals of the faith, the gospel, doc, Christian doctrine and belief. That's where I get really excited. And then just basic spiritual disciplines like uh, praying, learning how to read your Bible, kind of the, the, the habits that form the Christian life. And so we'll teach those at different levels in the in the church. So for some people, if you're a brand new believer, for your question, we're going to teach it at a really conversational level, just try to introduce you to these topics as if you've never heard them before. But then we also have, we're teaching the exact same topics in our residency, but teaching it at a level that would be appropriate for an executive leader, either in the, in the church or perhaps in the world. Uh, so a lot of that goes back to my story. I mean, my story is I came to faith uh, through a nonprofit, uh, through a campus ministry. And, and you were where? I was at Colorado State University. So, I, oh, oh, you know, our Buck Run Church I Pastor has just planted a church in, in Fort, Fort Collins. Collins. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we've had several families move out. That is fantastic. Students I'm transfer. so, so glad to know uh, that. Oh, man. I've got to tap into you. I want to hear all about this. Oh, yeah. So, I was not, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, Campus Crusade shared the gospel with me through the four spiritual laws. And I then got discipled in crew and was part of a small Southern Baptist church there in Fort Collins. And, uh, 
despite Crew's incredible efforts in my life, and even this Baptist church, I felt like I wasn't equipped for the work of ministry. I, I was expressing a, a, a desire to go to ministry, and I was talking to my pastor, and he said, you, you need to go to seminary. And I'm so grateful for that answer, because then I, I got seven years of wonderful theological education that I consider the most invaluable resource in my life. But one thing that I couldn't figure out is why didn't the church have environments to disciple me as well? Right. 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 Why do I have to leave the church in order to lead in the church? And so that was something that even in my time here, I was thinking, how do we how do we partner with seminaries and work with seminaries to make this accessible to people who will never have the opportunity to go to seminary? Well, I know you and I agree on uh, one thing because I've heard you say it elsewhere in another setting, and that is that really, the, I mean, the local church is is the organism that the Lord Jesus has entrusted with theological education. That's exactly right. So seminaries can't exist apart from the church. The church can, can't exist without seminaries. That's right. But you and I both believe in the in the role and the function of seminaries, but it's really to assist churches and exactly very right. specialized training. But it is the role of the church, big churches, middle-sized churches, little churches, to form their people in the Christian faith. That's right. And that actually allows seminaries to do what seminaries uniquely can do, this more specialized That's training. Right. When I went to seminary, it felt more like, catechism or like introduction of the faith because nobody had taught me anything all right i did not know my way around my bible i didn't know my way around basic systematic theology or even spiritual practices so for me going to seminary wasn't necessarily uh, a, de- a desire in my heart to be an academic though i am and I'm, i didn't know that though i'm grateful for that now i just wanted to be discipled like i just wanted to to know how okay where do i find this in my bible why do we believe these things and i had to go to seminary in order to do that so really my heart is for those men and women who might be in a situation like that where their seminary might be an option for them but before they go i want to equip them and form them so that when they show up here they're more prepared and they're equipped to jump full kind of head in you know every you know whole body into the pool so that they're not starting it at, uh, you know, kind of an introduction phase. Do you personally teach uh, any of the classes? I teach a lot of them. So we have we have one one of the programs we have is called the training program, and it's basically seminary light. It's the program I would have wanted had I never gone to seminary. We're doing, again, biblical theology, systematics, and spiritual formation. We bring in other experts from other seminaries around the country. So uh, from Southern, Dr. Pennington comes in regularly. We're going to have Dr. Allison in, another friend of mine, Jeremy Treat, and some Profs from DTS. Uh, I teach that primarily, though, and man, that has been so much fun. So when I originally pitched that to Matt Chandler, our pastor, I, I was praying for 15 people because it's hard. They're reading primary sources. We have them reading Calvin and Bavinck and Edwards and Irenaeus and Athanasius and major portions of Scripture, doctrinal statements, memory. I mean, evangelism assignments. Like it is. It's it's what it's I, robust. It's robust, especially for the context of the church. Yeah. And I was just praying, Lord, fifteen. If we can get fifteen people excited about this. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be. That's three more than Jesus. <laughs> right. There we go. Maybe I should have been praying for 11, just a little <laughs> bit underneath, right? Uh, but I was just hoping, Lord, please do this. And Matt said to me, I'll never forget, he said, I think you're going to have more than 15. Uh, that's the kind of the trajectory of the village is, is whatever we ask the Lord. He just has been generous and kind. Yeah. We had 459 applicants the first year. Wow. And if I'm honest with you, that was not a praise the Lord moment. It was what am I going to do? I know the moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. This curriculum is not yes. written yet. This is a Christian broadcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was a different moment. We'll say that. Yeah. And but but so now we're we're four years in, and we'll have over a thousand graduates from that program, uh, who who have been instructed in the story of the Bible, who can say the story of the Bible in a in a way that is maybe more robust than just creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. They know our statement of faith, not just that they would sign it and say yes, I believe, but they can say it. 
They can say, here is what I believe as a Christian. And then they're practicing spiritual discipline. So it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. Well, this is what enables a church to grow, mm-hmm. and, uh, both spiritually and numerically. Yeah. How many campuses does the Village Church have? Currently, we have five campuses. We've got our Flower Mound campus, which is kind of our hub campus. And then we have several campuses uh, around the area. And technically, our, our environments for education happen at all of them. It's kind of a, a centralized department for us. But we're in the middle of a campaign at the Village where we're actually rolling off all of our campuses as local autonomous churches. So within the next three years, the Village Church will be the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, and our Dallas campus, our Fort Worth campus, and others will be local autonomous churches. Yeah, well, that, that's a great plan. Uh, so what would be the greatest challenge you've faced so far in your ministry there at the Village Church? Oh, man. How long is this podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The, the greatest. Um, there's a few. I think the one, maybe maybe that'll be helpful for this, this context. So spending four years getting a THM, another three and a half years getting a PhD, I value. I, I, I cannot tell... Uh, my pa- my professors and pastors who taught me in these environments, how thankful I am for what they did. I mean, they've indelibly shaped my life and set me on a path for ministry that I just would not be doing what I'm doing had it not been uh, for their guidance. My heart is for the local church. When I was leaving Southern, I knew that the gap that existed between the academy and the church was big. I did not know how big it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's far, far, far bigger than I ever imagined. And so a challenge that I face is a sense of feeling like I'm between two homes, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Homeless in a sense, because I love and value rich, robust doctrinal orthodoxy uh, that is presented even in an academic way. I also love, like my mom is in the training program this year. She's a 63-year-old recent convert to Christianity, was a vice president for the Colorado Rockies for uh, 22 years. And here she is doing kind of a seminary light class. And she said to me the other day, she said, JT, I've never been intentionally discipled like this in my life. This is incredible. And I'm well aware that what she needs is this rich, robust, biblical and systematic theology because it's going to gird up her faith. But the form that she can take it in isn't necessarily in an academic form. So I'm kind of translating all that I learned in seminary to a lay context while also trying to show this lay context the value of theology. I'm not sure uh, if this is true in all contexts, but in in some of the, the world I run in, in evangelicalism, theology uh, sometimes isn't uh, valued, right? right? It's something that actually should be, we should be skeptical of it because maybe it's going to, right? Our, our, right? Obviously, I don't believe that, right. but I have to be an apologist uh, in a lot of my, my kind of circles that I run in to show this actually is not a, an add-on to the Christian life. It's an essential to the Christian life. And so trying to kind of exist between those two homes and maybe divorced parents, you could say, and said, you guys need each other. We've got to figure out ways to bring each other closer together. Well, we've, we've both heard uh, preachers that, that cast aspersions on theological education, make fun of seminary and all that. And certainly there, there is a danger of pride, no doubt education, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things, but there's also a pride of a lack of education. That's exactly, you know, the truth, pride hits everybody and we tend to take pride in whatever we've done and we are, it's a really good way to And, uh, and we desperately need education. In fact, wouldn't you say it's true? Really? It, it does not matter if a person gets a formal education or an informal education as long as one gets an education. That's exactly right. Uh, there are they're, they're two different kinds of tools, but mm-hmm. with the same goal, and it's really ultimately about obedience to Christ. You know, uh, this is why I consider myself God's spoiled child. Tell me. Because I get both worlds. Right. Uh, you know, the academic world 
here at Southern Seminary. But, man, I get in my car, I drive 45 minutes to Frankfurt, and it's a different world. That's exactly right. Uh, most of my people work for state government, mm-hmm. and, uh, and with all that that entails and uh, what the government is and the rules of government and uh, the the anti-religious bias, really, that yeah. is in a lot of government. And I'm preaching to people that can lose their jobs. Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes some of them are in danger of losing their jobs simply because they come to our church. That's right. And to minister to them and to say it's worth it for you to stand for Christ. That's right. Really, a challenge, but it keeps me from being in some kind of ivory tower. That's exactly. This, this is a, for a real people that's going to impact the theology because everyone's a theologian, right? That's right? right. The question is, are they good Christian theologians? And so, right. as we show people what it means to be Christian theologians, it has real impact for their life. Perhaps losing a job, or perhaps being ostracized or isolated for the sake of their faith. They need to know why that's happening. Uh, build on that a little bit when you say everybody's a theologian. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, so theology, if, if we're just taking these two words or two Greek words, theos and logos, and putting them together, it just means God and words or words about God or the speech about God. And everybody has that, even an right. atheist or an agnostic or a, or a, a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, everybody has an idea or a thought about God, including Christians. And so right. Christians, we're trying to say, have distinctly Christian theology about who God is. It's, it's the theology that is in accordance with how, what God has said about himself in Scripture. And so the question for, for any of us is not, are we thinking about God and speaking about God? The question is, are we speaking and thinking about God in consistency with how he has spoken about himself? Right. The minute somebody says, oh, God wouldn't do that. That's right. They've made a theological That's a theology. judgment right. and, uh, and have spoken for God. That's exactly actually. right. So uh, you want to take the word of God and teach people what God has said about himself. That's right. Tell me about your marriage. Oh, my goodness. Uh, my wife, uh, Macy, she has taught me more about God than any other person on the face of the planet. Really? There's no doubt. So more she than was, your professors. She had, right. Yes. She was the third Christian I ever met. Uh, I, I came to faith, and I met her in a <laughs> snack aisle <laughs> of a grocery store. She was with some friends, and I was with some friends. We ended up having some kind of mutual acquaintances. Uh, and she embodies the way of Jesus uh, for me in a way that that uh, is, did she grow was she a believer from yeah, she her grew childhood? Up, yeah, she was. Her dad was a pastor, seminary professor, very different background than mine. Both loving homes, but she she was discipled uh, in her home from day one, and she uh, knows the Lord and walks with the Lord. We have uh, she's my best friend in the world. This past year, uh, she got sick. She got real sick. Um, we thought I'll, I'll tell the story quickly. We thought she was diagnosed with cancer. They found a tumor in her leg. And they thought it was going to be aggressive. They were giving her about a 70, 70% chance of survival. And if she did, they're talking about amputation. It was a very scary six months or so. Sure. It ended up not being that. They did a biopsy and realized they had a misdiagnosis. Uh, but it was a very painful tumor still. But the emotions you experienced oh, were real. Those they? were very real. Yeah, you don't get to unlive that moment. No. Uh, or that, and that, that have shaped, shaped me forever. But watching her suffer, uh, throwing herself upon the Lord, and walking in obedience and faith and trust upon Jesus. I mean, it was just, it was in one sense the most emotional and hard time in the hospital, but also the most beautiful because it was a refining fire that we really believe this. We really believe in the sovereignty of God, his kindness and care and mercy that he's placed upon his people. Uh, and it was it's in moments like that where you realize she is a wonderful theologian. You know, Tanya and I, uh, we, we've been married 38 years now. Mm-hmm. And we talk about not wanting to waste a minute. A minute, yeah, that's exactly right. A minute, and sometimes when we start to argue over some dumb, <laughs> usually about whose memory is right from about something that happened three days ago, right? 
you know, it's like we just we start down that road. We go, hey, let's not do this. <laughs> I just I don't want to waste a minute. That's exactly right. And going through an experience like that reminds you oh, of the man. preciousness of just time together. Of every single minute. You know, so Macy and I, we've been very blessed. We've been able to travel. We've had wonderful experiences. And, and when she was diagnosed and we thought she was really sick, uh, I still had this overwhelming sense of, Lord, I want more memories with her. Uh, you have children? We do. We've got a four-year-old little boy before next week. His name is Thomas and a two-year-old little girl named Bailey. And they are the most fun kids on the face of the planet. Thomas, my son, calls uh, our daughter Bailey Angel Baby with wingtips because uh, I called her Angel Baby once. And she has these wingtips, which is her hair kind of flowing out. Uh-huh. She only has one girl because it's so short still. So I call her wingtips. And so he goes to school and his teacher asks him, what's your sister's name? And he goes, Angel Baby with wingtips because <laughs> he that's, thinks that's her name. That's a uh... Uh, quite extended uh, pet name for your sister. We have it on film. So at, at uh, like their 21, 21st birthday, we'll have that still. Do you preach much? You know, so here's what's crazy. I do. Uh, I went to the village not intending to preach. They asked mm-hmm. me in the interview, do you want to preach? And I, I said, sure. I mean, but I'm not coming here to preach. I mean, I, I consider Matt, uh, the, the, the guy that I work closest with, one of the best preachers uh, in America. Certainly. And so I'm, I'm not desiring to take that pulpit when he wants it in any way, even on a week, you know, a one week time, or a, you know, kind of interim time. Uh, but as the Lord has kind of grown my my opportunities there in ministry, there I've gotten more and more opportunities, and He's also grown my desire for preaching. I'm loving it. I'm just loving preaching right now. So I've, I preached the last two weekends, and I'm preaching. Matt's on sabbatical this summer, so I'll preach a good portion of our summer series as well. Uh, what what is the series? It was supposed to be John. So this is kind of so we were in the Gospel of John, uh, but in light of some things the Lord's just doing at the village around some of our philosophy of ministry stuff and some uh, maybe preps building campaign that we're going to be walking through, we pushed pause on that. Right now we're just prayerfully considering what it will be. Uh, had you already done some study for John? I did. I did. He came to me. So we were in John. We were supposed to be in John a few weeks ago, also, and he pushed pause and he said, "Hey, I want you just to preach." Like if you if you were to share with the congregation your prayer journal, like what God what's God teaching you in prayer? I just want you to preach that. And I said, interestingly enough, uh, John seven is in my prayer journal because you put it there, Matt. Right, that's the sermon you had given me. Yeah. Uh, but I jumped into Colossians instead, just thinking about, uh, you know, I love Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. He says, uh, not cease to pray for you. He's praying for them to grow in their knowledge of God, for them to bear spiritual fruit, to be centered upon the personal work of Jesus for them to never shift in their hope of the gospel. So we've been spending some time there just thinking about what is the basics of discipleship, basics of the gospel. Let me look over your shoulder as you prepare a sermon, all right? All right. Uh, first of all, are you, are you proficient in Greek? Uh, it depends who you ask. If you ask uh, somebody who's not proficient in Greek, I am. If you ask my Greek professors, they'd probably they'd probably wink at me. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah. You, you, you can get through a text mm-hmm, for sure. pretty, pretty well. Yeah. And uh, so your, your methodology... Uh, do you diagram it? Do you, what, what do you do? I do. I diagram. First off, of course, I'm spending time in prayer, uh, just meditating on the text, allowing the text to kind of get in my bones and in my heart uh, before I get any uh, resources other than my, my uh, the text itself. Uh, and before I type, before I'm looking at commentaries, I write. Like I, I have a journal that I just write in and I just hear what's the Lord teaching me here. What I, I do, obviously, some technical work on diagramming and translation uh, and just kind of finding what are the main words, what are the main points and the argument points that, that the text is bringing out. And then I'll go uh, to, to to like a logos and kind of do some more uh, digital work. Do you illustrate a sermon much? 
even in terms of like uh, yeah. uh like I mean, examples yeah stories so, so here's what's funny i'm humor and, if there's anything that i'm very that that's my weak point it's that because i just love the content so much uh-huh. but what i'm realizing as a pastor is that's what people remember if you can oh, find a good a good illustration and a good sermon uh, it it they will come to you and not say I enjoyed this point. They'll come to you and say this story impacted me. It, it, it's true. I preached when I was in seminary. I'm talking 1988, 89, 89. I preached at a church in Oxford, Mississippi, and did not return for uh, I, I don't know. I was here as a professor mid 2000s. So I say 20 20 years uh, later. I walked in the back door. People got up from the seats, came to me and said, I remember that sermon you preached. You tell that story about <laughs> that guy, you, you broke his tractor. Oh, I remember you telling that story about you, you, you and your dad watching No Time for Sergeants. Uh, yep. Now, I would mm-hmm. love them to get up and say, I remember that incredible sermon on Colossians. And your three points were. <laughs> right. That's just not the way people People don't minds think that work. way. No. People really have a narrative that's memory. right. And so uh, we want them to remember the scripture, but, you know, I think sometimes the, the the alternative is they remember nothing. That's exactly right. So if I can peg it to something, to a, a story, an analogy, something like that, that, that drives it home, I want to do it. As I've learned that, because I did not know that, and now that I'm learning that, I've got I've got notebooks and phones and lists everywhere where throughout my day, if I'm re- if I'm reading something, if I'm experiencing something, I'm taking notes, just yeah. remembering these are these are I need these because they don't ever notice my best friend. There is no doubt. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I'm preaching through Luke now, and I have uh, a year's worth. I'm, uh, a year's worth just takes me really through uh, chapter nine, mm-hmm. and I have broken down all the sermon units and the topics of each of those. And I keep a file for each one of those. And so uh, this morning I was, uh, you know, reading something in the, the Washington Post. I thought, oh, that'll fit with that that passage in Chapter 8. And That's I right. just, you know, clip, take, it. clip it, stick it in that, that file. And, it, the, and then I, you get to that week and you say, oh, oh there's something so glad there. I have that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so, well, uh, what, what are some pitfalls that you would urge uh, p- young pastors to avoid any anything that uh, you have seen as a danger sign. I think what we've learned at the village. So the story of the village is, you know, it's a small little Southern Baptist church. Matt comes, and we've grown by about a thousand people a year, uh, which is not a common church story, right? That's kind of an no. anomaly. Right. Um, and the Lord did some beautiful things over the course of that time, while at the same time we're a 16-year-old in some sense, right, in terms of the the, the new iteration of Village Church, which means we're in adolescence mm-hmm. in some ways. And so just a recognition that even when the Lord's blessing, uh, the preaching of His Word, when people are coming to faith, people are being discipled, shaped, and formed, you're still making mistakes. Uh, and to own those with humility. And I, I think if I could encourage young pastors, I've and I've seen this modeled for me more than I've done. I'm learning to do it myself. Specifically, Matt and our executive leadership team, uh, our elders, they walk in a great sense of humility. I think one of the first things that will kill a pastor is pride. Uh, and Matt had the opportunity to be prideful with what the Lord was doing there. If, if anyone was going to be prideful to grow a church to 16,000. Yeah. Uh, but he also made some mistakes. And he's the first person to get up on stage and say, I'm sorry, this is on me. I made this mistake and I won't do it again. Just to watch uh, a pastor be repentant. Because there's some situations where 
people, whether it's a deacon board or an elder board of the congregation, would use that to backbite and stab the pastor in the back. Right. But it's better to be honest to your congregation and honest to the Lord yeah. than it is to try to save your job. There, there are pastors who are afraid That's to right. be transparent like that because they say, well, people, people know will I'm weak. It. People think mm-hmm. I'm stupid. I always respond to that. They know you're weak. That's exactly stupid. right. <laughs> they just like to know that you know it. That's right. So there's something really powerful about a pastor who'll get up and say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I blew this. I made a bad decision. Most of the time, my decisions have been what I would call trying mistakes. In other right. words, I'm, I'm wanting to serve the Lord. There have been a couple of times I can remember at Buck Run, I, in 15 years, I've only had one, one deacon's meeting that had tension in it. And I'm the guy who brought the tension in the room. Right. I had to own that. I had to say that this that was on me. me. That was on me. And I, I did that. And I've been and when, st- and, still talking about it now, yeah. as a matter of fact. Well, and when the pastor does it, it creates an opportunity for the whole staff, for the whole congregation to do it. We're not all competing with each other. That's right. We're just, this is, we are all serving in our lanes and our ministries, walking in repentance and humility, seeking to honor Jesus, not ourselves. And, it, and it's what forgiveness looks like. And this is the way the, the church functions. That's you know, right. Jesus only talks about the church in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 16, that's where I personally believe he, he speaks the church into existence there. Upon this rock I will build mm-hmm. my church. By Matthew 18, he's talking about church discipline. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how to get along right. in the body. That's a major it's a big concern deal. of Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and if the pastor's not walking in it, I'm not sure what kind of expectation we can have for the church walking in it. Well, that's that's exactly right. You're talking about humility, man. Nobody helps me stay humble quite like Tanya, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a in the best way possible. Yeah, I, that's right. Yeah, I, it's not like she's carping and critical, but first of all, I trust her, mm-hmm. and so I trust her opinion. Tell me about the way Macy speaks into your life and ministry, and I know the Lord uses her both to encourage you, but also to, sometimes, no doubt, to humble you. I mean, this yeah. is if it's yeah. a normal. Human marriage. <laughs> there is no doubt. Yeah, so the way my mind works, I'm not sure if uh, if any of the listeners be familiar with the Enneagram. Uh, if they are, yeah. I'm an Enneagram 1. I don't know all that that means, but that means I'm very self-critical. Like I've got this voice in the back of my head that always runs that's saying, you didn't do a good, good enough job at that, or why didn't you fix that? Uh, so Macy knows that. And so Macy first is aware of the kind of person I am, and she's aware of how I interact with the Lord and the and my maybe sin proclivities. And so the first thing she always does is encourage. Uh, she is the most joyful, encouraging person I've ever met in my life. Uh, she just is, she's my best friend. And so the, her first step is always, you were used by the Lord today. You know, just I was coming out here just to do this conference and this podcast, and she was just saying, can you believe what the Lord lets you do? What a joy that must be. And I'm like, you're right. You know, and I just walked That's out the great. door just so thankful. While at the same time, uh, she can approach me because she's done that. And she approached me with humility and say, hey, have, and she always does it with a question. It's never an accusation. It's a, yeah. hey, did you think about this? Did you, are you sure that's what you were trying to say? Maybe you could say it this way. You know, really, I think just kind, suggestive question asking. And whenever she gets into that question asking tone with, with kind of kindness, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I need to, need to rethink this. Tanya's go-to move is she goes, you know, I know for anybody else, that would be great. <laughs> but I know what you're capable of. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, thank goodness. you. Yeah. I want, I want to be more. Tell me how to be more. <laughs> yeah. And and she's, she's really just great like that. Well, um, so looking to the future, any 
Uh, any new plans? You write any books? Uh, yeah. Any projects? What's what's coming up? Yeah, I've got a book that that should be coming out with Lifeway. Uh, manuscripts due in December. I'm going to write a book on Christian education in the life of the church. Kind of the things we're talking about here. Florida just it has just built this passion for me to help other churches and other pastors. Great, that's think exciting. About that. Yeah, so that should come out hopefully at some point next year, uh, and then a few other uh, kind of books in the way. But really, the Lord's just I, I've. I've We've already been talking about this. I just want to preach more. So I'm getting some opportunities to preach. I'm getting. I'm just. I'm wanting to get better as a preacher. Uh, and then even at the Village Church, I've had. To, I've kind of got some more ministry opportunities that are in front of me, and some building some new teams, trying to launch resources for the church. Also. All right. Well, uh, JT, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the Pastor Well Podcast. Uh, I always like to just ask a series of very quick uh, questions i call it my twinkling of an eye round okay here we go uh, and uh, you just just answer them and you guys have an edit button right yeah just you're right case. so, so <laughs> okay. just, just what comes to your mind right it's great uh favorite vacation spot italy italy been there recently about five years ago uh do you have a sugar stick sermon yes what is it matthew 28 great commission do you remember your first sermon yes it was jeremiah 31 was it any I good? Hope, no, because nobody, no, it was awful. Where'd you preach it? Uh, our pastor at Fellowship Bible Church Dallas had a little venue for young preachers. And man, they were so gracious to me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, what three preachers have most shaped you? Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, Russell Moore. And uh, is there a book you think that all preachers should read? Herman Bovink, Reform Dogmatics. I say that as that's a, a tall order. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's that's a that's a great. That's, that's the blending in my world. Yeah, that, that might take them a little while. It's okay. Well, we'll, we'll be patient. JT, it's a joy to have you. I, so fun. I, to I be thank back. God for His ministry in you, through you, for what you mean, not just to the Village Church, but really to the kingdom. Thank you, brother. Uh, we're proud of you here at Southern Seminary, my, my brother. May God bless you. It's just been a delight to have you. It's been a joy. So thank you, JT, for being with us on Pastor Well. Thanks to all of you who tuned in today. If you've not yet subscribed, make sure you do so on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I'll look forward to seeing you again on Pastor Well.